0: Come on this journey with me. Each week, when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. That's a I'm ready for my close up. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so excited you're here today. It has been a crazy week. As you know, I launched my first ever mentoring program May 1st. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how I had priced it. I'm a big fan of, and I really believe marketplace determines pricing. So for me, I'm just going to share with you what my thoughts were. Stepping in yet again to a business model I had no experience with, stepping into really a new business, I thought to myself, okay, number one, I want to deliver an excellent product, which I always want to, and I'm sure you always want to as well, but I thought, I've mentored people in corporate America and, you know, for 20 years, I know I can do it. I don't know what it looks like in this space. I don't know what the time commitment is. I don't know what the value add has to be, the curriculum, the one-on-one, the pricing. And I really didn't have a lot of time to market because I decided to do this two weeks before launch as a result of COVID. My speaking engagements were all canceled. I have learned so much in the last week. It's today's one week since my program started as I'm recording this, and it's just so crazy how much has happened, so I want to share it with you. Okay, I'm finally going to have my marketing done for my website next week. So I went to market without any marketing, without a website, and it was just crazy. I'm super proud of the way that I did it. I think the reason I was able to do it is because of my brand that I've created on LinkedIn over the past four years, my expertise in business and my testimonials. Those are really, I think, the core fundamentals as to why people trusted me and and knew that if they were going to sign up for this ambiguous program with me based off a a DM or an email that they were going to get value. And I just, I believe in delivering and over delivering value on expectations. Okay, so here's where we are. Super exciting stuff, guys. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. This is why you need to just pull the ripcord and jump in even when you're not ready, and speed to market will always be critical. I just asked myself if I know I can help people and I'm not doing it. I know I need a new revenue stream to replace my speaking engagements. Why not just pull the ripcord and go? And I'm so glad I did. Okay, so here's how I did it. I have a confidence video course, which is already created. It lives online, and my costs are essentially fixed on that because it's just time, you know, setting somebody up as an end user on this. So I had that, I have my PDFs, my 30 day plans and programs. I have automated email systems set up. So I had a lot of the inner working set up on what I would want to give to someone. However, I didn't know how much one-on-one time I needed to give people. I do have more time now that I'm stuck at home all day long and I'm not traveling. So I said, I'll just figure it out. I'd rather over-deliver. Well, I found out that I was over-delivering, and I had set up one weekly one-on-one meeting a week with each individual in addition to one group weekly meeting, which has been the best part about the whole entire event so far. I'm so excited about it. Here's my findings. Here's what I want to share. I undervalued my time, I overcommitted myself ad nauseum, and I underprice myself in the marketplace. How did I learn this? Well, I learned it by doing it wrong. And this is, you know, I go back to, there's three errors in my book, Confidence Creator. If I had gone more slowly and taken more, you know, rereads of my book, would they have been fixed? Yes. Yes. But I don't care. It's fine that there's three small flaws in there, you know, and I challenge anyone to find them. I found them. But here's the thing. People aren't going to notice. And when you lead with your heart and doing what's right and bringing your best self to market, good things will happen. And I live my life like that as an entrepreneur now. You know, it wasn't that way, by the way, in corporate America, it was all about don't make mistakes and Heather, don't let us down and don't fail at this. And now I just, I lead knowing that the fail or the pivot or the issue or the roadblock is all going to lead me to the right place. And I'll figure it out eventually. I have total confidence in myself and I want you to have that confidence in you too. Show up as the real you, do the right thing, that next right thing, and things are going to work out. Okay. Okay. So two of the people in my program have expertise in coaching, and both of them explained to me my price point was too low, I undervalued myself, and I way overcommitted on -on one-on-one time. Here's what I've learned in week one. I'm so busy, it's overwhelming, it's been causing me a lot of anxiety, and the thing that's sucking my time up is that one-on-one time. So... I'm revamping my program for June, still going to offer amazing value, increasing my price point to be more in line with market expectations and what other people are charging, and I'm cutting back on the one-on-one time. That's going to free up a lot of my time so I can get organized, follow up, and execute and be more in control of my business again. What I've done this week has been ridiculous. It's just been out of control. Okay, so live and learn, make improvements, adjust along the way. What's been really shocking to me is one of the biggest things is the team weekly meeting is really the most powerful venue event of the entire program. Not only are my teammates getting to know each other, support each other, and cheer each other on in the the chat section on the Zoom meeting. It's so cool to see, but people are showing up as their real selves, sharing how they built confidence this week. One person shared that she had to write her bio out. She's doing this huge presentation next week and we were working on it and she had to write her own bio out for the meeting and it gave her this sense of confidence stepping outside of herself and looking at her expertise and looking at all she had achieved and she felt so proud. So that's a great challenge for everyone right now is go ahead and write down your bio, write down your highlight reel, update it on LinkedIn and step into who you are, shine that light because when you do, you boost your confidence. You also put yourself in the game to be recognized for all that greatness inside of you. So, so definitely do that. Another woman shared, I have this unique value proposition challenge I offer to everyone that I work with, which is essentially reach out to 10 people in your world and ask them What is unique, valuable, and different about you that they can help shed some light on for you to understand about yourself? It's such a great exercise. I love it, and I always save the responses I get because it's going to make you feel so special, so good about who you are, and you might actually learn something that you thought was just like a normal trait or skill is really special and so valued and you didn't know it. So one of my teammates had that experience this week and and shared with all of us how it uplifted her. Another person on my team, we worked on her job interviewing skills. We did some dry runs, and she got the job. So that was huge. Another woman, I, I'm helping her get ready for this big presentation, and it turns out she didn't really know – That much about PowerPoint, which sadly, I worked for a toxic company in corporate America that had zero resources. So I had to teach myself everything. While I hated it when I was there, the fact that I didn't have robust resources, wow, does that pay off now? I said to her, oh, my gosh, shoot that PowerPoint over to me, I'm going to do a couple things. It took me 10 minutes to animate everything, animate the transitions, have things fly in, fade out. You know, it took me no time at all to turn her presentation from a solid B into an A, because I had to do those things for myself for my entire career. So it was so cool to see all these skills that I developed along the way in corporate America that I thought nothing of, now that I can put to work for other people and really help them. And it doesn't take me long at all. So it's so cool to see how we're all coming together together. Another teammate of mine suggested we create a private LinkedIn group so that the conversations can carry over from that team meeting to a private special space, and we did that. I had never created a private LinkedIn group, so I'm having all these firsts. It's so exciting, and now I've got to say, all right, I've got to start marketing for my June program and filling that pipeline up. Well, one of my teammates on a one-on-one meeting this week said to me, Heather, this guys he's a CEO of a company, super smart individual. And he said, I went ahead and prepared an Excel spreadsheet for you and outlaid what your projections are on revenue, on what you should be charging. You need to raise your rates. He gave me some comparisons on other groups he's been in where he had spent a lot more and received much less. And how I should renew a portion of the team each month and add new players each month at a higher price point. It was so insightful and great to see that Excel spreadsheet and help me with forecasting as accounting and Excel spreadsheets are not my favorite part of any business. It was great to see him jump in to help out and help guide me. And it's just been such a cool experience thus far. One week in, how many amazing things have happened. I have two different people who are launching their own companies, and I'm playing a role in that. And it's just what an exciting time for me. And it's crazy. This would have never happened if it wasn't for COVID-19. That is really surreal to me. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to let this portion of my business go when things, quote, unquote, get back to normal. Okay, so fast forward. I was working a lot with Harvard in the past few months and doing some guest professor opportunities. And a professor from Harvard came to me and said, saw your program. I want to partner with you because I've been talking a lot about my program online and on LinkedIn specifically. And he said, I think you and I should do a really high-end program, $10,000 a month, where you and I work together only for two high-level executives to get them to the next level in sales and business. And I said, yes, now. Do I need more work on my plate? No, but there's once in a lifetime opportunities that come along. And when you can work in conjunction with a Harvard professor to deliver value for people and enter into a new business, why not try it, right? So I'm home. I'm going to jump in and do this. I'm actually working on marketing for that right now. So I'm taking a lot on, but it's super exciting because it's all new. So if you're not reinventing yourself right now, Please look at the chaos I have going on in my life. Look at how I have no idea, but I jump in. And I'm so grateful I did and I do. It keeps paying off. Okay, so that's what's happening on the the mentoring program and Harvard side. Now, flip to... I believe I mentioned to you that I started pivoting my keynote business to a virtual speaking business, and I gave a virtual speech this week. It went unbelievable. I got so many DMs after, and of course, I asked for a review and recommendation of my work, which was stellar. Put it on my website immediately. I'm now creating a virtual page on my website to really market the virtual product in contrast to the on-site product, which is different. I charge different. Now, when it comes to charging, I didn't know what to do. I just got hired for another virtual speech. I still don't know. I'm finding my way and what the market will bear for virtual speeches. Fast forward to this morning, I woke up. A huge company emailed me, actually connected me to me through LinkedIn and then to my website. I have a contact me page on my website. If you don't have a personal website, definitely look at investing in creating one. It does not cost that much, but it's worthwhile for your brand, your business. Anyhow, so I get this DM from this huge company saying that they'd like to hire me for a virtual speech in June. And if I could talk, they'd like to speak to me. So immediately I replied back after, as soon as I get off my morning meeting call, I'm happy to do it. Jumped on a call with this huge company who I had pitched for an in-person speaking engagement last year and never heard back from them, which, you know, that happens all the time. It's fine. And also one thing to be aware of, large companies have multitudes of different divisions, and there's great news here, right? So that's multitudes of great opportunity. Once you get your foot in the door and do well for one segment, they can refer you you know, within the brand and within the organization so that you can get a bunch of different speaking engagements across many different sectors of their business. Okay, so I'm on the phone with this woman. It's going great. It's really apparent that I'm a good fit for her and her brand and what they're looking to achieve. And she says, I've just got to ask, Heather, I don't know if we can afford you. So I share with her my on-site keynote speaker fee, which is $15,000. And she said, okay, but what are you charging for virtual? And I just told her the truth. I said, I got to be honest with you. I really don't know. I'm finding my way. And I don't want to price myself out of your event because I am new to this. However, I will guarantee you I will over-deliver on whatever dollar amount we agree upon I've kind of just been asking, you know, what budget people have available at this point because I'm finding my way. I don't know what the price point is. And she said, well, can you tell, what's the one that you just did? I got paid $2,000. And she said, oh my gosh, you are so undervaluing yourself. And I said, really, tell me what you guys pay. And this is a huge company. What do you pay for virtual speeches? She said, our budget is five to $8,000 a virtual speech. That was really eye-opening. And here's my point to this. If you're fishing in the wrong pool, you're never going to find someone who has that allotment and can afford that amount. When people come to me sometimes online, I really want to help and I want to get involved. And, you know, I do care. I really do care. And it builds your testimonials and your experience and expertise because a virtual speaker is different than an on-site speaker. Truly, there is a difference because I've seen some very good ones and some not so good ones. So that's a reason why I was willing to kind of cut down on my fees because i wanted the testimonials i wanted the experience i wanted that feedback for myself on you know really knowing i could charge more and i do feel that now i'm at that spot where i can charge more but it was really eye-opening to hear when you fish with the bigger companies the really large brands they're going to have really large budgets and when you deal with some of these smaller associations they're not going to have those budgets. So don't get in the mindset that there's just one and done. It's only this small dollar amount. That's all that's out there. That is not the case. There are large companies out there with large budgets. There are companies out there hiring right now. One of my teammates doubled her income on this new position she just got. So don't fall victim to this mentality that everything is bad out there. Everyone's getting laid off. Yes, there is tremendous layoffs happening right now, and that is Horrible. However, there is tremendous potential and opportunity out there too. So don't turn a blind eye to one just because the other one can seem so consuming. I am in fact raising my rates. I'm raising my rates on my mentoring program. I'm raising my rates on my virtual speaking and I'm so excited to be learning so much during this time. I hope that you are learning too. And I'm so excited to get into this next conversation, which is really going to be around how you can build your personal brand now, how you can start getting featured in media, and how you can take yourself to the next level. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Meet a And Welcome back. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today. Jason Pfeiffer is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, host of three podcasts, Pessimist Archive, a history show about why people resist new things, Hush Money about the way money makes life awkward, and Problem Solvers about entrepreneurs solving unexpected problems in their business. He's also been an editor at Men's Health Fast Company, Maxim, and Boston Magazine. So there was no one better than Jason to have come on and answer all of the questions I've been getting about how to get exposure in media. Jason, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: For sure. So if you can give us a little bit of insight specifically into Entrepreneur Magazine, as I have had so many of my listeners reaching out now that we're all in quarantine, everyone's trying to find ways. How can I launch my personal brand? How can I grow my personal brand? How can I establish myself as an expert? And people are really struggling where before they were busy with work and not thinking about these things, how can they dive in now and really make a mark for themselves?
1: Oh, I think that now is an amazing time to dive in and make a mark for yourself. Probably the best time, honestly speaking. And the reason for that is because digital engagement, way, way up desire for good information. Huge right now. We are seeing enormous spikes in interest and engagement on our stuff at Entrepreneur. And I see it on my own personal stuff. People want trustworthy information. They want people that they can connect to. And this is a moment, honestly, an amazing moment for you to step Up and serve people and be somebody for people. And so, the first thing that I would do if I were somebody thinking about this, and we can talk about how to get press separately from the thing that I'm about to say, because I think that they're somewhat different things. But you have to know if you're going to put yourself out and serve an audience, the number one thing that you need to know is who is your audience. Like, you need to, I know that that sounds so basic and simple, but I see so many people launch online magazines develop some kind of social media thing launch a podcast and it goes nowhere did you know and this is this number is from a, maybe about 6 months ago it's probably even more now but that uh, there are 750,000 podcasts in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem, and less than 20% of them have been updated in the past six months. You know what happened to all the rest? They didn't have an audience and nobody was listening, and then the creator gave up. You have to identify who are you serving, How are you serving them in a way in which nobody else is? What can you be for people? You know, when I put stuff out there for myself, for my own, you know, quote unquote personal brand, I'm always thinking about how am I valuable to those people? They don't care about me. Why would they care about me? What they care about is what I have to offer them. You have to always be putting it through that filter.
0: Okay, so let me guess. Like me, you get stressed out during the work week. Maybe some nights it's even really difficult to fall asleep because you have so much to do, so much pressure on you, being a parent, working, dealing with difficult clients, traffic, just all of the regular headaches that everybody's dealing with. I got you on this one. I decided to try a different approach because I was sick of feeling Anxious and stressing out about falling asleep at night. Well, that's where CBD from CB Distillery came in. And wow, it has been a real change. CB Distillery's targeted formulations are made from the highest quality, clean ingredients. No fluff, no fillers, just pure effective CBD solutions designed to help support your health. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experience more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity, and 90% said they slept better with CBD. If you struggle with a health concern and haven't found relief, make the change that I made to CB Distillery with over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee. CB Distillery is the source to trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com and use code confidence for 20% off that's cbdistillery.com code confidence cbdistillery.com but jason it's really hard i launched my personal brand four years ago while i was still Mm -hmm. in corporate america i didn't know who my audience was I just knew that I had expertise in sales and sales leadership, and I thought it was something that I could do to serve others, to share what I had learned, how to get to the C-suite, and how to do things that I knew a lot of people hadn't done. But I didn't know, at first I thought just women would want to hear my message. Turns out my audience is 50% male. But I didn't learn these things until a year or two years in as I saw the feedbacks and the DMs and the requests for information. So how does someone who's just starting out try to understand who their audience is?
1: Oh, sure. You'll never have it perfect at the opening. And what you did there is exactly right. You listened You learned, you watched the data, and you adjusted along the way. You should always do that. Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, has this great phrase. He says, if you're not embarrassed by your first product launch, then you launched too late. The idea being that you should get something out there when it's imperfect so that you can learn from it. But when you get something out there, you have to have some kind of thesis. You have to know who you're for. And I would suggest that something you did that you clearly internalized it, you hadn't you maybe weren't able to articulate it at the time when you did this but you had narrowed down to knowing that you had a specific thing to offer and an idea of the kind of people that would receive it so you weren't trying to be something to everybody because if you're something to everybody then you're nothing to nobody and so you went narrow you stuck to what you knew and you knew that there was value to that here here's a way if you don't have that idea in your head something that you can do right now is start listening for when people ask you questions. What do people want to know from you? Because that will tell you something. What it'll tell you is what they think your value is to them. So for example, for me, I noticed as soon as I became Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine that people were always asking me some version of the same question, and that was, what are the qualities of successful entrepreneurs? That's what they kept asking me. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, of course, the reason they're asking me that is because they think, and they're right, I'm the guy who's always talking to tons of entrepreneurs. So I can be the pattern matcher. I can see what's consistent through all these people. So they think that my value to them is telling them what successful entrepreneurs do. So I said, great. That is my mission now. I can understand that. And then once I spent enough time thinking about that and refining some answers, and I realized that the primary answer is they embrace change. That's the thing that successful entrepreneurs do is they embrace change. So then I thought, well, okay, How do they embrace change? Can I come up with specific ways that they embrace change? Lessons to draw out from that. And then once I did that, I was able to build all these things on top of it. I was able to build a talk. Like when people hire me to speak at their conferences, I primarily give this one talk about how to embrace change. Um, podcasts, very oriented around how to embrace change. This is something that now, because I was listening to my audience, I had some idea of the thing that I was targeting at the beginning, and then I drew in the feedback, and then I earnestly responded to it, I was able to further refine what it is that I had to offer.
0: Well, this is so interesting, given the time that we're in, this concept of embracing change and really, you know, owning that. That is that's a unique skill and talent, which I think many people struggle with. But you're saying the people that you're dealing with really thrive in that circumstance.
1: Oh, yeah, they absolutely do. I was thinking about this last night. I was trying to write a column, but it was 9 p.m. and my kid had got me up at 5, and so I, my brain was fried. But I was sitting there looking at the computer, and uh, and I had this realization, which was that entrepreneurs are dealing with this challenge in a particularly constructive way. The people that I talk to are optimistic. They're saying, this is a moment of opportunity. This is something where I can I – can build i can refine i can see what things people need and i can grow and you know why they're able to do that i think my thesis is because if you have gotten into the world of entrepreneurship then you have already internalized that things will go wrong like if you already have that in you it's almost like its own kind of vaccine you know you you put the you know you you put the virus in your system and you build the antibodies and that's functionally what a vaccine is if you put into your body the idea that things will go wrong, then when they do go wrong, you're not that surprised by it. You're already kind of thinking about how to overcome it. And yes, what's happening now is wrong in so many completely overwhelming ways. But it's still, at its heart, things are going wrong. And that means that there are solutions. I think that one of the core values of an entrepreneur and the core values of anybody, by the way, I, should, I just should define entrepreneur because you know, a lot of your audience doesn't think of themselves as entrepreneurs. Step back and think this. My definition of entrepreneur is someone who makes things happen for themselves. You don't have to have started your own business don't even have to have a side hustle. If you are a person who has a vision and you work towards that, then I think that you are functionally an entrepreneur. You should embrace that term. So I'm talking about you. And I think that one of the key things that an entrepreneur can do is that they look at what's happening. They look at what they're doing. And they're totally okay knowing that what worked today may not work tomorrow. And that means that they have to abandon what worked today and figure out what's going to work tomorrow. And that is not as scary as it sounds because if you're building something and it was working and then it stopped working, you have a lot of data. You have a lot of information that will tell you what people want now because you're on the front line of that change, which means that you are better positioned than anybody else to shift with that change. You just have to be open to it.
0: Would you also agree with this idea that even if you're in corporate America, you still are an entrepreneur because you are looking at launching a personal brand or you already have launched a personal brand. And now you're in the situation at home where you're starting to think, is there a way for me to generate revenue from home and through my computer?
1: Yes, without question. I mean, there are, you could be an entrepreneur in so many ways if you're working in corporate America. A term that I've heard is entrepreneur. You're basically an entrepreneur inside of an organization, but you can also be an entrepreneur on, uh, with your own thing. I think that everybody should be building things that they own and that doesn't have to necessarily be a company that they own, but it could be an identity that they own, right? If you go out on social media and you start to mean something to people, well, then you own that in a way that you don't own anything else at your job. I have this idea of work. It's, I call it work your next job, but, but here's what it is. And, and I think that this, this goes to that thing that you were just saying about, you work at Corporate America, you figure out something on your own, Now is a great time to do it. Okay, at any one time, now BC before coronavirus, AC after coronavirus, you have two sets of opportunities in front of you. Opportunity set A are all the things that people are asking you to do. If you work in corporate America, you got a lot of tasks, you have a boss, there's all these expectations, you're doing things. Opportunity set A. Opportunity set B are all the things that are available to you that nobody's asking you to do. But they're there for the taking. They could be there for the taking at your job. They could be there for the taking somewhere else. You could be building something on social media that's just yours. It's available to you. Nobody's asking you to do it. But if you do it, you will prepare yourself for greater success. I always I believe so strongly that the most important stuff is in opportunity set B. That's how I've built my career. And those podcasts that you listed off in my intro nobody asked me to do that. I just started doing it. And now I have these podcasts and they make me money and they build my personal brand and they also taught me how to speak on mic in this way in which other people like you want to have me on their podcasts. That all happened because I just started doing something that nobody was asking me to do. Now is a perfect time. Nobody's asking you to do a lot of things. And you've got the time to do it. So start doing it.
0: And so how would you suggest somebody goes about launching that personal brand?
1: So first I would take stock of what you have to offer. You know, you think about what are people interested in? What role can you play? Do you serve as some kind of provider of information or wisdom in your own personal network that you can can see this is how I could have value at scale? And then I would think, how can I produce that in a repeatable way? What can you do that's going to be able to connect with people and be something that people return to because it fits into their lives um, and then and, and this is gonna sound crazy but I think that once you let it digest it will sound less scary than it is the second it's going to come out of my mouth but here it comes turn yourself into a character So think about how would you simplify yourself down to elements, that fit very neatly into other people's lives. All this stuff that you just heard from me for the last however long I've been talking, these are parts of my character, right? It's a character named Jason Pfeiffer that I play. It's not not all of me. It's part of me. These are genuine thoughts that I think, and this is a genuine way in which I've produced my work and thought about my career, but right, you didn't bring me on your podcast to listen to like all of me. I I could waste your time rambling about my kids and you know, all this crap and like, but that's not what people want. They don't want that, right? They want a version of me that is simplified so that it, it does the thing that any media property does, which is that it has a mixture of predictability and surprise. Predictability means people are coming to me or to any magazine or to you or to anything because they know generally speaking what they're getting. They know how it fits into their world. If people pick up Entrepreneur Magazine and they open up the cover and it's actually 17 Magazine, bad surprise. Like they don't want that, right? Like that's not what they want. They want the predictability, but they want surprise in that they want to hear new things. They want to be shaken. They want to have a new perspective. So predictability and surprise. You get that by thinking of yourself as something that is definable enough to people that you can deliver that thing over and over again. I mean, that's what you do on your podcast. And that's what, that's what I do on my social media. You have an understanding of the thing that your audience wants. And you've have, you have given them the slice of you that is most potently delivering on that thing. So think about that. And that should make it less scary to go out and be a personal brand. Because I think a lot of people are afraid, oh, people who, who's going to care about me? Who's going to care about my life, my kids? So I have to put all my stuff on social media. No, you don't. Nobody wants that. So don't worry about it. It's so much easier and simpler when you think, no, no, they just want the part of me that is most useful to them. So think about that and think about ways to articulate that. Yeah, you could try with a podcast, but it's probably easier to try with Instagram. What's a thing that you could produce over and over again that would be valuable to people? For me, for example, I realized, you know, a lot of people are putting inspirational quotes in their posts on Instagram, and that's fine, and people like that, but that feels like it's a little bit of a, I could just follow along, it doesn't feel that that unique. And also, I feel like if I did that, it should have something that is Filtered through the way that I present myself. I present myself as very approachable, accessible. I respond to all DMs. I create things in a very raw way because I want people to be like, oh, Yeah, he has a cool job, but he's like a real guy. And so I started with notebooks. I started writing these phrases that I came up with in my crappy handwriting in notebooks and then just photographing my hand holding the notebook. People love it. You know what it's called? It's called a franchise. I made a little franchise, a repeatable concept that can scale infinitely. And that's what I was doing. So think about that. How can you distill yourself down to something kind of simple and repeatable that's useful to people? that's really coming from you, but isn't all of you, and then offer it over and over again.
0: I love that idea of the franchise. I think it's so smart, and I haven't come up with that yet, but I totally appreciate you putting that idea in my mind. One of the things that, for me, I found challenging was when I first launched my brand, you know, I went and did a big photo shoot. I invested all this money because I thought that's mm. what you have to do. I mean, a significant amount of money. And only to find out, here we are four years later, I've completely revamped my brand, my website, three different times in four years. The messaging, the content, the look and feel. I mean, I've gone through so many evolutions. And one of the things that I want people to know that I guess I didn't know, I thought I had to have it nailed that first time. But I really Uh had no idea what I was doing. Now I know today it's going to evolve even more so moving forward. And I'm banking on that. I'm banking on the change. I'm banking on failing like we were talking about, you know, earlier – So when you start becoming more fluid with it, it's much less scary because it isn't this black or white concept. It's going to work or I'm going to fail and it's done, but it's more this is all part of the process and the evolution. And I try things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I don't necessarily know why.
1: That's absolutely right. That's the way to do it. That's perfect. You know what you just described? I mean, it sounds complicated, especially when you're like uh, a personal brand, there's pivoting. and What you just described is very simple. You were having a conversation. You were having a conversation with your audience. You started in one place and you guys both moved and evolved and you were listening and you were engaging. And that means that you saw where they were going. And so you shifted with it. You said, here's how I can continue to be most relevant, can even be more relevant to these people because I'm open to it and I'm having a conversation. I mean, this is the thing that anybody should be doing who's producing literally anything, right? Right. I mean, if you work in corporate America, if your company is successful, it's having a conversation with its consumer. Right? It's consumer obsessed and it's constantly evolving in the direction that they need to go. And the companies that fail are the ones that stopped listening, that stopped evolving, and that, that did this thing that brands and companies will do, which is that they, they become 100% invested in refining and making most efficient the thing that they're already doing. Right? Like, you think about it. I this is gonna sound like it's totally different from you talking about your personal brand, but it's not, it's the same thing. You think about why did Blockbuster fail, right? You know, the, the story is like, oh, they didn't see it coming. Netflix came in first with DVDs mailed and then with streaming, and Blockbuster just didn't see it coming. No, 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 they saw it. I mean, there were a lot of smart people working at Blockbuster. They saw it coming. The problem was that Blockbuster did the thing that organizations tend to do, which is that they stopped innovating and they started Focusing entirely, structuring themselves entirely for efficiency. Efficiency at doing the thing that they were already doing. And that meant that they were only focused on how to make those stores work. The entire corporate infrastructure, the entire incentive system was driven towards how to make those stores work. So now somebody at the top or somebody at the bottom or maybe everybody in between was like, oh no, the entire model for how people are consuming entertainment is changing. And they couldn't change that company because the entire thing was built on a foundation that was unchangeable. That is how you spell certain death. And so- what you are describing is you are describing a nimble operation, an operation that's willing to reinvent itself, that's willing to say, "Oh, well, I was this thing, but now I think I need to be also a little bit of that thing." And I see where my audience is going, and I see that that's an opportunity for me to serve them. And you're going to you're going to be in, to quote Reed Hoffman for a second time, "Permanent Beta." You're going to be in permanent beta. You're always, always, always in evolution. And that's what we need to do. And you do that at jo- at your job and you do that as a personal brand. And you can do that everywhere in between. That's what you need to do.
0: So it's so interesting given the time that we're in right now because I'm grateful that I had evolved my business over the past two years to have book sales that happen virtually, have a course that's sold virtually online, have a podcast that lives online. I can do all of these things and generate revenue and income from my home. However, I sadly was living in a world where my primary revenue generator was speaking events on site where I would appear on site at events. And what I've learned over the past few weeks is that business model is completely broken essentially for at least this year. And what I need to do is find a way to pivot that business. And I will tell you, I had a complete and total meltdown the other day realizing yet again, I'm starting over as a rookie. I need to learn all new platforms. I need all new contacts, all these VCs that are starting these new companies around virtual entertainment and event entertainment online. I need to start over at ground zero again. I need to find a unique way to to convey my message. Now that I can't jump around on a stage, how can I connect like that through the computer? And I got really sad about it. And I know that a lot of people share this feeling When you're 45 years old and you have 25 plus years experience and expertise in something and you're at the top of your game, suddenly crashing down and and going back to ground zero, it's a hard hit to take.
1: Yeah. You know, I've had to go through a similar process myself. When this first started, I stepped back and I thought, oh, crap. Like, I... I was built for a different world. I, I, I also jump around on stage and make, make a good amount of money doing it. And I was telling these stories of limitless opportunity and these entrepreneurs who are doing these things and, and in Pessimists Archive telling these, these, these innovation stories and railing against people who can't change in a, in a time of, of bounty. And, and now I, I'm like, is that, does anybody want that? Does anybody want me? And that sounded terrifying and scary. And and then I realized, well, okay, the thing that I say over and over again is that people need to change. The fortunate position that I'm in, that I've been in, is that since I've said that, I haven't actually needed to change. But now I have to do the thing that I keep telling everybody that they need to do. (laughs) You can't have a message and not live it. So I thought, well, okay, what do people want from me now? And the answer I came to by talking to lots of people is that although we are now in extremely uncertain times, people still want that Core thing that I started with at the very beginning, which now just has to express itself in a completely different way, right? Like, it's like you go back to basics. What is the core value that you have? Because, because you, yeah, you you know, you say you, you know, you're jumping around on stage and that's great, but that's not your core value, isn't jumping around on stage. Your core value is the message that you were then drilling down and bringing to life by jumping around on stage, right? Like there are, you can't confuse the thing with the form. This is a a problem that people have across time is confusing the thing with the form. This is a crazy way of thinking about it, but just to to stay with me here, because this is a really valuable uh, way of thinking about the world. So, okay, when people talk about technology, I'm going to bring this back to the human level, but like when people talk about technology and they talk about the changes in technology and we're, you know, we're afraid of this, that, you know, people say, oh, my my kids my kids are on snapchat and they're texting and that means that they don't know how to have conversations with their friends anymore screen time is terrible right that's confusing the thing with the form so what is the thing with the form the thing is a core part of us or a core value that we need that we love that we live with that that's that's embedded deeply inside of us and the form is just the way that it feels or looks for a particular period of time or for a particular generation. So at one point, community looked like bowling leagues. Now, there's that book, Bowling Alone. Bowling leagues were the form, but community was the thing. Now, when we got rid of bowling leagues, did we get rid of community? No. Now, community could be Snapchat. It could be Zoom. It could be texting. It could be a million different things. We live in a digital world and digitally native young people are going to be building their community on digital tools. That doesn't mean that community disappeared. But if you're a generation older than them, you're going to look at the way that they relate to their peers and you're going to say, oh no, they don't have community. No, no, no. They have community. You've confused the thing with the form. And so when you are worried that because you can't get on stage and jump around and share your message that people aren't going to be interested in you, you're confusing the thing with the forum. The thing is your message. The thing is the thing that people are taking from you that's most valuable. The forum just happens to be jumping around on stage. But if you can just... Come up with a different form, a different way of thinking about how you're presenting the core value that you have, then you're able to stay with people. So I think about the core, the thing for me, and I go back to that thing that people were asking me what are the things that people are doing to be successful? Now, what they're really asking isn't like a list of anecdotes. They're looking for insights. They're looking for me to say, this is what people are doing. This is the way that successful people are thinking. This is the way in which you can think your way through this problem. That's what they wanted from me. And so I was doing that originally in a world that functioned normally. And now I just have to do it in a world that functions abnormally. But my core value is still the same. And I can't run around on stage anymore. But that's fine, because nobody's expecting me to because if I got onto an auditorium stage, nobody would be there to watch me. So we're going to do it on Instagram. And we're going to do it in in, in LinkedIn. And That's great. Once you realize that, once you realize that you have, that you are not the product of like the surface level thing that people are engaging with, but you're actually the product of this very core thing that lots of surface level things just happen to flow from, then you realize that you just need to stick to basics and pivot a little bit. And understand that the thing that you have is still valuable. You just need to talk about it differently and you need to meet people where they are now.
0: Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 25, one. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. All of the information you need in one place to make better decisions. And right now is a time with NetSuite's unprecedented offer. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellence in performance. Absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Monaghan. That's netsuite.com slash Monaghan to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Monaghan. PSA to small businesses ready for an exclusive offer just work supports small businesses with simple seamless solutions like integrated payroll now for a limited time only try out their payroll plan for one month free. As a reliable and flexible platform, JustWorks earns back time so you can focus on running your small business with big confidence. You've got enough on your plate. Save time with payroll that checks all the boxes like automated payments, tax calculations, withholdings, and expert support. And the best part, no hidden fees. Designed to be flexible, JustWorks can support teams of one to as many as your small business hires, including contractors. In just 30 minutes, set up payroll that streamlines paying your team, saves time, mitigates errors, and is desktop and mobile friendly. You can even integrate time tracking and benefits that support running your small business with big confidence. Don't miss your chance to get one month free by visiting justworks.com Confidence, secure the limited time offer and start letting Just Works run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at slash confidence. It's so good and so true. So thank you for that clarity on that because it really resonates with me. I yeah. know I only have so much time with you today because you have about 17 different jobs. Yeah. So one of the key things that I really want to share that I'm asked all the time is yes. how do I get media? And I know, you know, I've learned how to pitch myself, I've leveraged social media, I have a verified account on Instagram, and I have some different key things that work for me, and Mm -hmm. and happy to share those with with everyone listening. But I really want to hear from you, because you're the one that's picking the people, and I'm sure you're inundated with people like us requesting to be featured.
1: Oh, am I inundated? Yes. I mean, in the time that we had this conversation, I, you know, there's 30 more emails in my inbox uh, of people who are looking for press. Okay. So there's a lot to say here. Uh let me I'll give you the I'll give you the kind of big takeaway points. Number one, I think people don't necessarily understand how media is produced. You know, it's interesting. We all consume media, we all read magazines, watch TV, whatever. But we, we, we don't really understand. If you're not in it, you don't understand how it's produced. And so I get, a lot of people reach out to me. I would say the majority of people who reach out to me, speak to me as if I am a service provider, right? As if my job is to give them press, how do I get a story in your magazine? I would like a story in your magazine, right? Like they're talking to me like they're ordering a hamburger. And that's, <laughs> a, that's a misunderstanding of my job, right? And like, and that's not, I don't say that to be defensive. I say that because if you are going to reach out to literally anybody in business, you need to understand how they think and what they do. So, you know, you don't contact Mark Andreessen uh, of Andreessen Horowitz, powerful venture capitalist in tech. And you're like, I would like some money. You know, like, you know, that's not how you do it because that's not how they work, right? You have to understand what people are looking for and how they think. So the important thing to know is that I don't serve, and I'm going to say, when I say I now, I'm going to mean all journalists. I am not here to promote you. I am here to serve my audience. So you have to talk to me about the value that you bring to my audience. I am not here to serve you. So that means that when somebody reaches out to me and they're successful it's because they have spent a lot of time understanding the audience that I serve and the kinds of stories that I tell them and the way that I tell them entrepreneur every publication tells stories in a different way and entrepreneur by way of example is especially I mean in, nor- in normal times right now we're like doing all this service stuff about how to how to like survive this crazy time but you know like in normal days we're telling stories of really creative problem solving. I want to tell stories of how people solved problems and get inside of their heads so that people can read these stories and see how smart people think and calibrate their way of thinking to creative problem solving. So give you an example of how a pitch almost went wrong and then went really, really right this woman, her name is Joelle, she reaches out to me about a butter dish called buttery. She makes a butter dish. And clever thing about the butter dish is that it's a butter dish on a hinge, right? So instead of like a little tray and then a top and you like lift the top off, uh, it's on a hinge. So you flip it open. Why is that valuable? That's valuable because it turns out you don't actually need to refrigerate your butter. You can leave your butter out. It can get nice and Soft and you can spread it more easily. But the problem with nice soft butter is that if it's in a butter dish where you lift the, the the top, the top will inevitably bump into the butter, and then you've got butter everywhere. So the hinge solves that problem because you know exactly where the hinge, where like the butter is opening and closing. Great, very clever, nice, fun. She solved a problem for people, but that's not the kind of problem solving that I'm talking about. Because every business solves some problem in the world; that's why it exists, right? So I'm not going to write about her butter dish. But that was only the first like two sentences. Then. She told me this. She said that when she was trying to develop, when she was working to develop Buttery, the butter dish, she wanted to do some market research. She wanted to do a bunch of surveys and get people to tell her important things like how much would they pay for this? What kind of colors would they want this in? And uh, so she went to a company and she said, How much would it cost for you to do this research? And they said $10,000. And you know what she didn't have? $10,000. So she was not sure how to do this research. And then one day, Joelle was in an airport and she was flying somewhere for whatever reason. And she's looking around. And again, pre-coronavirus world, you're in an airport. And she's looking around and she realizes that airports are full of people who have absolutely nothing better to do than answer questions about butter dishes. (laughs) Nothing better to do. And in fact, bonus, you could start at gate one. And by the time you get to gate eight, Gate one is full of new people. And bonus number two, you can show up at the airport whenever you want. So you could, you could conceivably buy the cheapest one-way flight out of there, right, for less than $100, and then show up at 6 a.m. and stay there all day. Nobody cares if you get on the, on the plane. You could be at the airport all day. And so she just started doing her market research herself at airports by doing this. And that's how she created Buttery. Now, that is a story for us. That's brilliant because that's problem solving in the way that I love problem solving. She was a consumer of the magazine. She saw the kinds of stories that we were doing and she told it to me. And uh, one other really big takeaway from that story is she figured out what actually made her unique. Because the thing is that when people reach out for press, they oftentimes don't actually present the thing about them that is most distinctive, right? We all think of ourselves as distinctive in some way. And and I would challenge you, like, here's a thought experiment you can do right now. I ask you, what makes you distinctive? Whatever your answer is in your head right now, throw it away. Wrong answer. I'm just telling you, wrong answer, right? Like, what makes me distinctive? I'm a I mean, these are like things that I get in my inbox all the time. I'm a teenage entrepreneur, and I started this thing. I'm a mom, and I started this thing. Um, um, I have a rags-to-riches story. These are great. These are great congratulations. But this doesn't make you unique because I have an inbox full of people who are telling me rags-to-riches stories. An inbox full of them. So that's not your distinguishing factor. Your distinguishing factor is something else. And it's different per publication. So when you get to know the publication, you get to know what your distinguishing factor is for them. For me, Joelle... Her distinguishing factor was this really creative way in which she did market research. Now, that's not going to be her distinguishing factor if she reaches out to food and wine, but it is her distinguishing factor for entrepreneur. And because she got to know what the publication does and then thought about her own story and figured out the thing that really sets her apart, the thing that I'm not hearing a million times in my inbox, and it was really valuable to my readers, it was an instant yes.
0: That's such a good story. And I love that she came up with that idea. That was brilliant and such a good use of her time because I I've been stuck in many airports in my life and never thought about surveying the people that are sitting around with nothing to do. So kudos I to her. Know. That's a great story.
1: It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And you know, I mean, like, and what's what's so what what's also so great about it is, and this is what makes it such a perfect story for me, I can tell that story. And boy do I I tell that story a lot. I can tell that story in an auditorium with a thousand people and everybody from uh, you know countless different industries they all laugh and they all say that's so smart right it's a, it's a universal it has nothing to do with butter dishes it's a universal idea and that's what i love
0: it's so good so you just need to do your homeworks so you know understand the audience understand the publication and and find what it is about you that connects with that audience and is unique different than what everybody else is pushing
1: that's right, and let' I'll, I'll offer one other thing. Sometimes you are not the story. You're just you're not. I'm sorry, you're not the story. Like you're going to pitch, and you're going to want that profile of you with the big splashy photo, and and you're not going to get it for whatever reason. But doesn't mean you can't be part of the story because you. I guarantee it by being on the ground in whatever industry you're in, whatever it is that you do, you know more about your world than the journalist who you're reaching out to. I guarantee it. Because journalists, most of them, their backgrounds are journalism. They didn't work in your industry. They're writing about your industry. They didn't work in your industry. So you have an insight about some interesting trend or some something that's happening that is going to be really relevant to the publication and if you are the one who brings it to them then they might write about it and they will include you they'll probably make you the lead because you were the one that brought it to them and that's a way that's a really great way in think of yourself as a resource for journalists Right. Like like this is, this goes back to that shift that I was saying. A journalist is not, they're not a service provider. So, but if you can provide a service to them, then you have just kind of built your, you've just kind of like built your ship on the way into their publication.
0: Love it. And I never thought about that one either. So thank you. All right. I know that I'm on my deadline for you right now. How can everyone find you, find your podcast and, and connect with you?
1: Yeah. So I will I know there's a I have a lot of junk. Um, so let me I'll just simplify it to, to this. If you're interested in change, in how change happens and why people resist change, and these are lessons that we're all going to need going forward because we are in a moment of extreme change, then please check out my podcast called Pessimists Archive. Pessimists Archive, we look back at the moment when things that today we think of as completely commonplace were actually new and scary. Everything in your world was new and scary at some point. Things that you can't possibly imagine seemed scary. Teddy bears, novels, chess, coffee. People have been trying to ban coffee for 500 years. I mean, This is the stuff that forms the foundation of our world and yet was at one point new and scary. And if you understand why things were new and scary back then, then you can understand why today's new and scary isn't so new and scary. So check that out, Pessimist Archive. And then, um, you know, I'm on Instagram at, at hey Pfeiffer. Uh, I'm very active on Instagram, very active on LinkedIn, Jason Pfeiffer. You go to jasonpfeiffer.com where all my stuff is.
0: All right, well, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Very, very helpful, Jason. Appreciate it.
1: Oh, hey, thank you. This is so fun.
0: All right, hang tight. We'll be right back. Bye. I hope you like meeting Jason as much as I love sitting down with him. He is a great guy, really smart guy, and obviously accomplished so much. He and I have worked together on another podcast, and it's just been great getting to know him. If you're not following him yet, please do. And heed his advice, because he definitely gave us great advice. It makes me think back to four and a half years ago, I launched my personal brand for the first time, posting online, creating a website, and trying to get press was super, super hard. You know, I've hired PR teams over the last four and a half years. I've done it myself. I had one of my team members in my mentoring program came to me and wanted to ask, should I spend $3,000 a month, Heather, hiring a podcasting marketing team that's going to get me placed on different podcasts? And I said, heck no, three grand a month. Number one, you could get a PR team for that, which is going to get you a heck of a lot more than just podcasts. And number two, you know, get some experience going on podcasts to start DMing people reaching out as to why you're going to bring value to different podcast hosts, you know, what you're going to do to promote their brand and promote their show, how you can help them you'll start getting featured on different podcasts and then get really strategic about what are the podcasts you want to go on that are the right fit for your brand, your product, you know, your book, your expertise. And let's make that list. Let's find out who the hosts are. Let's start finding out where the contact here link is, how, you know, let's put together basically either a reel or a sizzle reel or a PDF on you, why you, how you're going to add value, and let's start pitching. That doesn't cost anything, right? You can do that yourself. That's a great place to start if you're looking to get on podcasts, but you need to really put yourself in the shoes of that podcast host. Why you and why would they want to bring you on? How are you going to benefit them and their audience? That's really, really critical. I have people reach out to me sometimes, Heather, I want to come on your show because I'm great and I'm this and I'm that. And it just goes right in the trash, you know. Listen, I know the people I want on my show, and I'm targeting them. When people come to me, they have to show what value they're going to bring me, my audience, and how they're going to help grow the show. Otherwise, I'm not interested. So, really put yourself in the other person's shoes. Okay, so I've been getting a lot of messages lately about what happened when I got fired, since so many people are getting furloughed and fired right now. And I want to share some key steps that you can implement. In your life, not only if you're fired, but really just being in COVID right now. So here's a few things. Number one, when I got fired, the first thing I did is I posted about it on social media. And I know some people say that's crazy, but to me, I thought if no one knows I've been fired then guess what? No one's going to offer me an opportunity. So I posted, after 14 years of continuous advancement, I have been fired. And it hurts. And if I've ever touched you in any way, I really need to hear from you today. And a lot of opportunity came to me from that post. And what I learned is convert the opportunity in the moment. Don't wait and say, oh, I'll get back to that person in a few weeks and take them up on their offer. No, that person will have moved on. So when Froggy from The Elvis Duran Show tweeted at me, Heather, I'd love to help you. Let me know how. I tweeted back, yeah, get me on The Elvis Show. And he did. And I went to New York, and I got on the show, and I was on with Elvis, and halfway through the interview, he said to me, well, obviously, you're writing a book. And I said, well, obviously. But what was interesting is I wasn't. I had thought about it, but I wasn't. And he somehow transferred his confidence and conviction in that I should be writing a book to me. I took that on and I Googled on that flight home, how do you write a book? And it was as simple as you need to be disciplined and write X amount of hours a day, which I did. And then you need to hire an editor who's light years ahead of you. The editor I hired had written 19 books and I had written zero. So I wrote for a couple of months, five hours a day, I believe it was three or five hours a day. Then I hired an editor who had written 19 books, and before you know it, I had a rough draft of my book. We overcomplicate things so much. It's about moving, taking action, and believing in yourself, and I did those things, and it really worked out for me. Then I had a product to sell. Then I Googled, what is the best way to sell books, and it said, go on podcasts and speak And I started dialing every company I knew. Hey, I'd love to come in and speak for you about my new book that just came out, Confidence Creator, about how to create confidence in the workplace. It'll allow for innovation, collaboration, improved environment and culture at work. And so people would say yes. And I wasn't charging because I was looking for a way to move my book. Because I was out doing that, that started a domino effect of me speaking all over the country and finally, when I called the company, they said, sure, what's your speaker fee? And I had to research speaker fee. What is that? And I found out this is a multi-billion dollar business where Gary Vaynerchuk makes $200,000 a speech, and I could be charging for this. So I started small, and I think I charged, I don't know, 3 dollars or $4,000 the first paid speech, and then ultimately getting up to 15000 which is what I was getting in corporate America, you know, for corporate America speeches up until COVID occurred, and it was so eye-opening to me that I wasn't even aware that was a business or an opportunity, and I only figured it out because I jumped into it. So these things happen as a result of taking action, and then I started pitching myself for podcasts and, and going on small podcasts at first. Really, that first year, I went on a number of small shows And then I asked for a favor from one of my friends in media if they could help start landing me on some bigger ones. And that friend landed me on The Lady Gang, which was huge for me, for my brand, for my book. They had this massive audience, millions of listeners, and... Once you land a bigger show, the opportunity for you to go on other bigger shows is more present because they see, oh, if they wanted her, she must really be a great guest. And then you leverage that opportunity for the next one. So it really is a domino effect and it all starts with taking action. So no matter where you are right now, if you've been laid off or if you're just working from home or if you're fearful you could be laid off, start the pivot now. Start taking action because you never know where it's going to lead you. And I'm so excited that it's led me right here today with you, hoping that you're taking action and creating confidence in yourself because I want you to know I am right here with you. We're doing it together. Until next week, keep creating your confidence. I'm on this journey with me.